Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and today we continue our journey through the Gospel of John, and we begin in Gospel uh, in John chapter 5. So, <clears throat> John chapter 5 verse 1 is the beginning of a miracle story that we typically call the feeding of the 5,000. It is the only miracle story that appears in all four of what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Synoptic because they tell pretty much the same story. Now they have differences, of course. Uh, And this is the only miracle story that appears in all four. John tells us a few things about this event that the other gospel writers don't mention, and we'll bring those out as we come to them, because they're fairly significant, one of them especially. So let's start right there, John chapter 5, verse 1. A little later, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they had seen the signs and wonders he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was drawing near. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a huge crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test Philip for he himself already knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a bite. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, I found a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what is that among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and their families with them. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be wasted. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Notice there's no fish left over. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and force him to be their king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The feeding of the 5,000 has uh, drawn a lot of critical inquisition from scholars. And there are many different opinions about much of this story, what it means, what it signifies, why it's in the Bible, what Jesus is up to. All of those things have come under scrutiny by scholars who make their living picking things apart. For most of the stories of Jesus, for most of the Bible, it's really important that you and I, as we study it, as we talk about it, don't get stuck in details and miss the bigger picture. John is the only gospel writer who tells you 
how to understand this parable and tells you what the bigger picture is. Jesus goes to the other other side of the Sea of Galilee, probably by boat, and a crowd is following him around. So I don't know if he's gone closer to, to Galilee or further away. I think he's gone south at this point. And so I think there are two reasons that, um, that in verse 4, John says, now the Passover, feast of the Jews, was drawing near. I think it helps to explain why there's this vast crowd of people. I think a lot of them are pilgrims making their way to Jerusalem and they hear there's a chance to see and hear Jesus. And so on the way, they join this throng. But this is a huge crowd of people for that day. Still a huge crowd today. I mean, when I was growing up, there weren't 5,000 people in my whole hometown. And today, I think it's 6,500 or so. This is 5,000 men, plus women and children. This is probably somewhere between 12,000 and 20,000 people, all told. That's a throng. And, And Jesus looks up and sees them. Now, this happened as the Passover was drawing near. What would that mean to a Jewish person who is reading this story because John is writing to Jewish people, Greek Jews. Well, the Passover, remember, is that that feast of the Jews, that season in which they remember that God freed the Israelite people from Egypt. But in freeing them from Egypt, he took them into the desert a place where they couldn't grow crops. Food wasn't provided for them as it had been when they were slaves. They were totally dependent on God. And if God didn't care for them, they would starve. And so God sent them manna. You remember what manna was? Bread from heaven. Now I joke at the donut shop when I go, I always get a maple bar. And, and the Bible's description of, of manna is that it tasted like honey, it was the consistency of bread, and it wasn't good the next day. It was only good for one day. That's a maple bar. God gave the Israelites maple bars in the desert. I am convinced. Probably not. But it's how I see it. Uh, my maple bar tastes like honey, and it's not good the next day. So... The Passover celebration is this observance of God totally caring for the needs of his people. Without him, they would die. They'd starve to death. Now, you're faced with this situation where 12 to 20,000 people have showed up in their mini version of the wilderness. Certainly no grocery stores or subway stations, (laughs) subway restaurants, anywhere nearby. And so it's a problem. And Philip says, Jesus, it's about lunchtime and there's a whole lot of people here. And Jesus says, okay, Philip, where would we buy bread to feed these people? Well, 
Philip doesn't understand. You remember that that Johannine confusion I've told you about? Whenever Jesus asks a question and somebody doesn't understand, then Jesus gets to provide the answer. And you and I get to learn along with the dummy who answered the question just like we would have had it been asked of us, right? Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can have something to eat? Philip says, are you kidding me? 200 days wages. A denarius was a day's wage. Um, 200 denarii worth of bread. 200 days wages of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to even have a bite. One of these, one of the other disciples, Andrew, brother to Simon Peter, says to him, I found a boy here. He has five barley loaves and two fish. That's the equivalent of like five little biscuits, five dinner rolls, and made of barley, so they're kind of dense. Hockey pucks. <laughs> they're, they're not the greatest fare, but they'll tide you over in, in the wilderness. They're bread. God provided bread to the Jewish people in the wilderness, and the boy has two fish. Two little dried fish. Think, think sardines. They're not big fish. He doesn't have, he's not carrying around a, an eight-pound bass in his little basket. He's got a couple of little dinner fish, a, little, a couple of little sardines. And that's what he's got. Here's his lunch. That's the only food I can find. And and what will that be among so many? Even, even Andrew, who's faithfully found a little bit of food, doesn't believe it'll feed. 12 to 20,000 people. Jesus, watch what Jesus does. He takes control and he sets the thing to order. Have the people sit down. So Jewish families would have sat down by family, father in a particular position, mother in a particular position, children in their spots. Everyone understood when you sat down for a meal, there was an order to the thing. So Jesus brings order. Wait, what did God do when he created the heavens and the earth? That's where John started this gospel, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. It's the same three words with which the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And the spirit of God nestled over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. God begins to bring order into the chaos. Have the people sit down. Jesus begins to bring order to the chaos, just like God did at the beginning of creation. John says, now there was a lot of grass in this place, a lot of place to sit. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. The text just says the men sat down. Because the men were the leaders of their household. And where they sat, their family would join them. And and they would sit down in an orderly fashion. They appear to understand that it's time to eat. And they probably wonder, just like the disciples, what's this dude going to do with so many of us? He's got 12 little guys to help him, 13 of them. And there's tens of thousands of us. What's he going to do? 
feed us all? So Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, that's an important phrase to John. You're going to encounter it in a few places. You're going to encounter it here. And when he had given thanks, he distributed the bread and the fish, or the bread loaves, to those who were seated. So first the bread. You're also going to see that he does this at the Last Supper. He takes the bread, and when he had given thanks. So it's a it's a form it's it's a practice of Jesus the disciples remember whenever there was a meal he took the bread first and he offered thanks for what they were about to eat he he gave his gratitude to God for the provenance of that meal he's also going to do it after his resurrection and and the eyes of his disciples are going to be opened at that point. It's a practice of Jesus, probably unique to Jesus at that point in time. So he takes the loaves, he gives thanks, and he starts passing them out. His disciples probably helped him. And they start to maybe break the loaves in half, maybe break them in quarters, maybe just hand a whole loaf out of the little bag, and they keep coming. And the pieces keep coming. And he distributes to all those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. Hey, Jesus, you got any more of those fish? Those are pretty good. Sure, here's some more. And as long as they asked for more fish, they got more fish. Now apparently... The bread multiplied in their hands. I want you to think about this. When you hand out bread, you don't hand out extras. You would hand out one loaf. Maybe they were breaking the little biscuits in half and giving each person half a biscuit, trying to ration them so they'd last, and they just kept coming. But eventually, everybody has been served, and everybody eats all they want, and there are leftovers. You don't get leftovers from a carefully rationed meal. I mean, we have leftovers at Thanksgiving at my house, but there's no rationing. We've got a couple of birds. We've got several pans of of beans and several pans of dressing and several pans of, of scalloped corn, and we've got plenty. Six or eight pies sitting there on the counter. There's a lot of food at Thanksgiving. And so, yes, we have leftovers because we didn't carefully hand the food out. But Jesus and his disciples would have carefully distributed this food so that everybody got some. And then people started asking for more. And the Bible says they got all they wanted. And then when they had eaten their fill, when they were all full, something that they didn't often get to do. These are poor people in a third world country under the rule of the Roman Empire, not allowed to keep their own income, not allowed to have their their money or their produce to themselves. They have to provide for the Romans. They have to give some to the temple. Their life is not their own. Their food is not their own. 
they're not often full. When they had all gotten full, he told his disciples, gather up the leftovers so that we don't waste anything. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with leftovers from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten their fill. No fish left over, fish won't keep. The fish would would spoil within 24 hours. The bread will keep a little longer. And they took up, wait, how many basketfuls? Well, I mean, you're smart enough to understand there's one basketful for each disciple, all of whom doubted what could happen here especially Andrew. Now Andrew's got his basket full of leftovers, especially, I'm sorry, especially Philip. Well, Andrew found one lunch and now he's holding a whole basket full of leftover bread and Philip didn't even know that they could feed everybody a bite. And now these folks are falling asleep on the ground because they've got the lunch stupor going on and, and Philip's holding a basket full of leftover bread. A side note. <laughs> I've read several scholars who've argued that Jesus set the example of sharing the boy's lunch and those who had food with them then were inspired to also share their lunch and that's how plenty was had and leftovers were created and so on and so forth. And quite honestly, I don't have a problem with that. It would be just as much of a miracle if you could get 20,000 people to feed each other so that everybody was full and and everybody realized this miracle together by their own doing. I'm okay with that, but it's just not what the Bible says. <laughs> it doesn't say, and all the people took note of what they could accomplish if they all worked together. And if the Bible wanted to say that, it certainly could. And if that is what had happened, the Bible would probably make note of that. John would have made note of that. And all these people, inspired by the example of Jesus and this little boy, began to break open their lunch packs and share with their neighbors, and everybody got full. The Bible could say that. It just doesn't. It says, in verse 14, when the people saw the sign, when the people saw the miracle that he had done, the miracle he had done, providing them bread as God had in the desert. And they're about to go to the Passover feast and commemorate this. They're about to have that Seder meal where they've got like weeds and sticks and stuff to eat and a bone. (laughs) They're about to go through this feast where there's nothing to feast on to commemorate how little food they were able to take with them and that God had to provide for them. But this afternoon, laying on the grass in the sunshine, their tummies are full, they are belching, they are laughing, they are taking a nap because life is is really luxurious. When they saw the miracle Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet, the Messiah, who's come into the world. Perceiving right then that they were about to come and force him to be their king. Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. And that's going to lead us to the next miracle story, the walking on water. But this story 
is really important to you and I. Because there are a lot of times that we look at our own resources and we say, there's not enough. Have you ever sat on a church administrative board, a leadership council, a board of deacons, and a a project comes up that's going to require the spending of money, and you look at the building account and you say, there's not enough? We are often tempted to function based on what we have, what we have, not what God provides, not what God can do. I was once the pastor of a church that needed a new building. Our building was literally about to fall down. You could turn off all the lights in the sanctuary uh, and stand there on a bright afternoon and look down the wall, and there were places you could see the sunlight coming through the mortar between the bricks. It was it was on its last legs. And so one of the faithful lay people in the church said, we need to start a building fund. I'll donate the first $10,000. And he did. And nobody else donated a penny. Not a penny. And so we got drawings. We commissioned to have drawings made. And we put that in front of the church. And we said, we've already got the first $10,000 in seed gift. Help us now to realize the need would have been at a minimum $800,000. And probably, I think in the end, they spent over a million. But the money trickled in. And the, and the leadership group continued to say, we can't, we can't do this until we have at least $400,000 in the bank. And the guy who gave the 10000 said, no, incur the bills, order the stuff, run up the charges, and the church will respond when there's a real bill to pay. Right now, there's no investment needed because we're in our church, we're comfortable, the place is full, it's never been full before, and everybody's fat and happy, but you incur a big debt and these people will respond. Well, it's hard to convince people that that's wise to step out into where you might fall off the cliff. And he kept saying, guys, we've got to crawl out on the limb until it breaks off or God catches us, but we've got to, we've got to have faith here. And to be honest, I didn't have that much faith. I didn't push the church into a building program. I didn't want to take on that that debt, that fear, that stress. In fact, I moved to a different church. And the guy who followed me didn't push the church into that building plan. But that lone layperson continued to say, if we don't move, if we don't do something about this, We're going to die with a building collapsing on our heads right here. And it wasn't okay with him. And he continued to push. The second pastor after me said, you're right. Let's go. They put a big push on. They raised about $100,000 and they turned right around and they incurred the debt to build the building. Nearly a million dollars. And I think ultimately just over. And people responded. 
and they they took every offer they could get. They utilized prison labor, laborers from the local medium security prison to come and, and do tasks to be to be bricklayers, to be carpenters, to be uh, cement finishers. And and those guys got like three days of credit for the uh, against their service time for every day that they worked at the church. So they signed up and they were really, really careful how they behaved so they didn't mess up getting their time off. So it worked out amazingly well. Now that church has a beautiful church that I have to let you know, I didn't have the faith to take on, but the guy two pastors after me did. And now they worship in a beautiful, beautiful church because they stopped looking at what they held in their hand. They stopped looking at their little lunch and believed that God would send them a feast if they would step out in faith. Folks, we too often are just concerned with what we can manage on our own without faith, without God. What can I afford? What can I handle? What can I do on my own, in my flesh? with the resources that I see in front of me right now. And then we talk about how God has done such a great thing. He didn't have to do anything. We already had those resources. What would your life look like? What would my life look like if we would step out and do something that if God doesn't catch us, we're going to fall. If God doesn't help us, we're going to go hungry. If these fish and loaves from this little boy's lunchbox do not multiply fast, we're going to look like idiots. That's where God is. Just beyond what we can reach ourselves. Just beyond what we can do ourselves. That's where God is. That's where God will join us. That's where God will pick up what we don't have. That's the weakness in which his strength is made perfect and shown to be perfect. But we've got to walk past the five loaves and the two fish that we have in our hands. Now, the next story is going to be about the same theme. So before we go there, I want to challenge you to take a moment and ask yourself, what in my life, where in my life is that task, that vision, that conviction that I have that I should be walking past what I can see right now, what I have right now, what I could provide today. But God's called me to more. Where is it that I can walk right on into God's plan for my life without fear and without worry that he'll provide the resources? And let's go. Let's go.